This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. everybody welcome to the rap cast it's another episode of outside looking in wherein i bring somebody from another market covers another team so that we can understand basically every team in the nba through these podcast episodes there's going to be 29 of them but simultaneously asking every single one of those people how they view the toronto raptors some people so far have been quite high some people in the middle nobody's been truly low yet but we're trying to find a consensus. So whether you're watching on YouTube or the listening on the podcast channel, I hope you enjoy this. I'm with Jovi Rai today and somebody who, if you were looking for coverage of the finals, the Warriors run to the top, it was it was tremendous. He was putting out some of the best work out there and he's been kind enough to join me to talk about the Warriors and the Raptors. So Joe, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's the off season, it's the doldrums. Uh, you know, to go from the high of covering every other day or every other two days of finals games of a playoff game to like, you know, it's quiet. We were waiting for training camp to happen. It's kind of like it's getting kind of restless, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, I just can't wait for training camp to begin. It's beginning in 22 days, I think. And, you know, I'm ready to get into the grind of things again, like writing every day, watching film every day. Well, it's not like I'm not doing that anyways. Like, I'm doing that every single day, just yeah. watching whatever I can out there, watching Warriors, watching other teams, watching the Euro basket that's going on right now. So I just can't get enough of basketball. And, you know, when the season begins, it'll be Christmas for me personally. So, yeah, yeah. for for me, I think during that during the playoffs, I was doing breakdown videos for Yahoo. I was doing a breakdown video for every game for after the public. I was writing like a couple pieces for every game, podcasts for every game. It was just like an it was like four things for every game plus maybe some more. So when they got when they were eliminated and I just went to doing like carpentry work, I was like, okay, I'll just let the brain rest for a little bit and like work with my hands and whatever. So the off season has been restorative probably for me, but the the work begins now. This this series is part of what I'm doing. And so to introduce this episode, basically, Joe, the Raptors. I think consensus is so far that they they're very interesting. I'm curious if you think they're just interesting, interesting and dangerous, interesting and okay, I don't have to worry about them. What are your broad strokes thoughts on the the Raptors? I've always been interested in the Raptors ever since they beat the Warriors 3 years ago. <laughs> like can you can you believe it that it's been 3 years since the Warriors beat I mean not the Warriors, the Raptors beat the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and there was a pandemic in between, like so much happened in between. I truly believe that it was like an inflection point in history that like after that, it was Clay in- injured, KD left. And then, you know, they became this team where they went from the best of the best to 
the worst in the league because Steph got hurt too in the beginning of the season. And the Raptors, on the other hand, you know, to get Kawhi Leonard and have a championship because like because he was a huge part of that run. And for them, after Kawhi left for the Clippers, they didn't do too badly in terms of retaining some of the key pieces in that championship run. They still have Pascal Siakam. At that time, they had still had Kyle Lowry, uh, Fred Van Vliet. But then when during the bubble, yeah, they lost to the Celtics. And then after that, it was the like the Miami, the Florida season where they were in in Tampa. To go from that to the last season where, you know, they, they made the playoffs despite being this really, really funky team of six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guys, wings, where they switch a lot. Their defense can range from being super duper conservative. Like you keep in your hand in front of you and like when you switch to being this hyper aggressive scheme where they trap, they blitz, and then they have to rotate behind that. It's really, really interesting for me because I can see similarities to the Warriors in that sense, where in the early dynasty years around 2014 to 2016, I don't I don't want to say they invented it, but they kind of revolutionized the switching scheme where you switch everything because they had the personnel for it. Six, 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 seven guys. You had to go from Clay Thompson to Andre Iguodala to Draymond Green. And there was little to no fall off. And, you know, the Raptors last year, I I had so much fun watching them because they were pretty much the same, like similar thing uh, where you go from, I don't know, you go from Fred Van Vliet and then you switch to, let's say OG Ananobi to, to Pascal Siakam. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get past the point of attack when you got long arm after long arm coming at you. And so, you know, it's very, they're a very interesting team for me because of their defensive schemes, their experimental schemes, and also because of Scotty Barnes. I really, really love Scotty Barnes. Uh, you know, I didn't expect him to be that kind of a, primary scorer uh first option in his rookie year but it's it was a pleasant surprise because i was like i'm not much of a draft guy but i was watching tape of him in florida state and he was far from being that guy who could score uh in isolation when he's backing his man down in the post when he's going up for turnaround hook hooks fades and all that stuff and for me it was such so much fun to watch scotty develop into this like the man, like the future for the Raptors and potentially someone who can win, who can go to an all-star game in the future, like maybe two or three years time, maybe an all NBA team. And so it was pretty fun for me. Very interesting. I would say they would lean more towards the dangerous side of the spectrum. It's like, instead of like, yeah, like, be, like, eh, like they're interesting, but they're not really that potent so to speak. I think they're the kind of team that can give the Warriors fits because the Warriors the Warriors historically have been had trouble with switchy ultra switchy teams. Uh the Celtics kind of gave them some fits because they switched some of their actions until Steph went nuclear and they kind of figured stuff out. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to regular season meetings between the two. It's so interesting that you bring up the inflection point, right? And it was kind of dead and buried now, nobody expected the Warriors to be bad this past season, but they weren't betting favorites for the title, I don't believe. They they weren't loved in that regard. And many people for a couple of years already, looking at 
the environment of the the Warriors, what happened with Clay, just so many setbacks for him. Steph slowing down in some regards, Renaissance and others, as we learned. But the Raptors seemed like they were the bookend on the Warriors dynasty. And people talked about that, like the Raptors won and the Warriors, it was done. And here they pop up in 2022 and they win, which by the rules of dynasty means that it's not 2015 to 2019. It's 2015 to 2022. And who knows if they can elongate it further. We'll talk about that a bit more at a, later on in the podcast. But it's also interesting that you bring up the, the Raptors scheme. Some elements of it are born out of how the Warriors revolutionized defense in the NBA. A little bit more motion, a little bit more punch at the point of attack. And because of the death lineup, they were able to play that brand of basketball. Only it's crazy to see that the death lineup, if you watch them play, it's so much more conservative than the way that the Raptors play. Because the Raptors, it's all about peel switching, X outs, hard pulling rotations from the strong side and weak side corner. It's crazy to think that the Warriors wanted to switch so that they didn't have to enter rotation. And the Raptors are like, we will switch and then we will enter rotation. And it's just this flying insane defense that has had really great stretches. It didn't work in the playoffs, but they did have injuries. We'll see how it works coming into the season. It should be really interesting. But uh, yeah, that that definitely suffices as the broad strokes ideas of, of what's going on there. Scotty Barnes, of course, very interesting. Nobody thought he might have the pop the way that he did score it. Well, maybe not nobody. But nobody who was commenting openly besides, I guess, maybe David Thorpe was one of the guys who was kind of banging the the Scotty drum. But the Warriors then, I think, man, so Kuminga, I'll give you my read on the things that stick out to me from the Warriors that are super interesting. Anything that Jordan Poole does, because he's fascinating, his, his I'm not going to do like the meme of proprioception, but the way he moves around the court is pretty fantastical the shooting the ball handling and just really really unique movement patterns and then Kaminga I watched this I watched this play last season I was going to make a video about Kaminga that I never did and I was watching a lot of his plays and you know in soccer footy whatever they you switch the play and in basketball switching the play is not really as common but there's a play a, a set called blind pig that kind of does yeah. switch the play stuff and the Warriors didn't run blind pig, but they switched the play and then just had Kaminga run a beeline at the rim. And it made me think like how high teams have to play in these screening actions against Clay or Steph and just kind of getting a screening action on the one side of the floor, having the weak side step up and then having Kuminga run at the rim and catch a lob if you have a good pass on ball. It's just the Warriors have always been so ahead of the curve as far as utilizing mobility. And that was born out of Curry. Curry invented new ways to get open in, in the NBA. Nobody's done it like him. I don't know when the next person who it'll be. But I wonder if Kuminga, not because of his shooting, but just because of his athleticism, I'm interested to see how Steve Kerr kind of draws that stuff up. Uh, have you noticed anything like that as well? Yeah. Um, I think Steve is having lots of fun trying to combine Kuminga with, with Steph. Uh, you know, Steph is pretty malleable in terms of who, who you can – uh, combine them with but with Kaminga there's this element of a rim attack that just wasn't there before previously 
and athleticism that athleticism that helps it. Um, you know, to like I've been watching a few uh, war, uh, Raptors clips, and I love like I love how they try to sprinkle in some of those inverted pick and rolls, where you have uh, Fred or Gary Trent uh, set a screen for uh, for I think it was Scotty or either. Scotty or Pascal, yeah. and then they ghost the they ghost the screen, and you either have uh him, that whoever set the screen be open on the other side, or Pascal or Scotty going downhill, and the Warriors run something similar to that where they have Steph set the inverted screen for Kaminga, but they but Steph doesn't need to ghost the screen because no matter what, whoever's defending Steph is gonna stick to Steph, and then Steph is probably arguably the best guard screener in the league. Uh, and, you know, he catches those guys, Kaminga's guy, really, really clean. And Kaminga's set loose for downhill dunk every single time. And, you know, to see those kinds of things where Steve just flips the table on conventionality in terms of Kaminga, and then to do that in his rookie season, it makes me really, really bullish on how he can develop as a player. Uh, within the system, uh, and not just offensively, but defensively too, where you know he can already keep in front of his man at the point of attack because he has the physical tools to do it. He's six eight. He has long arms, he's, and the style that he plays defensively is really, really physical too. Uh, not in the handsy sense, but like when you get in, when you try to blow past him he's gonna get his body in front of you he's gonna use his frame against you and at 19 years old at last season his body already has like the profile of a grown nba player like a five-year veteran maybe of the nba and imagine him at like what 23 24 mm-hmm. when he's he has a more experienced accrued he's smarter he knows schemes better uh, he has an understanding of tendencies better. You know, it's just it's just really, really mind-boggling to think about the, the possibility. The only question there is whether that will fall within the timeline of the core three of Steph, mm-hmm. of Clay, and Draymond. But yeah, I mean, he he contributed some pretty, pretty significant minute minutes last playoffs during the Dallas series, during the Grizzlies series, not so much the Celtics series, but you know they were significant nonetheless. Uh, you know, and I want to include Moses Moody in that in that conversation too. The mindset of the front office of the Warriors front office is that eventually Moody Kaminga will be the guys to replace the upcoming like they will they'll potentially have a wing deficit because of the Wigan situation, the pool situation. They have to choose between the two, and you know there's a possibility that they're thinking that they might sign. Jordan Poole instead of Andrew Wiggins and that they're counting on the development of Kaminga and Moody as wings to replace what Wiggins gave them production wise. So when we think about the Raptors and the Warriors, statistically they share one very similar trait is that they don't run a lot of pick and roll relative to the league. Now there's a little bit more similarity in that when Fred Van Vliet was healthy his numbers against drop in the pick and roll were really, really good. Points per possession through the roof, similar to a guard out of Golden State. Now, Fred is not Steph, but Fred is probably at this point recognized as one of the more versatile, high-volume shooters in the NBA, especially from three. 
That's where the comparisons end, though. The Warriors have a lot of framework to their offense. They have a lot of set actions. And the Raptors don't. The Raptors are free-flowing. Nick Nurse calls it read and react. Some, If you were an optimist, you'd say read and react, really letting the players get after it. If you were a pessimist, you'd say it's uninventive and relies a little bit too much on bully ball, perhaps, and you know that there should be more done to occupy the weak side and stuff like that. But there are some set actions. The Raptors, like every other team in the NBA, runs horns. But I'm wondering, since you're an X's and O's guy, and for anybody who's listening or watching, go follow Joe on Twitter because he's constantly, if you want to learn about X's and O's in the NBA, it's a great accessible way to learn them is via his Twitter account. But have you noticed any other similarities between the offensive process on the Raptors and the Warriors besides the lack of pick and roll? Well, we talked about the on-ball screen, inverted screens, right, with, with Fred and and Gary Trent setting them. I've also noticed a bit of off-ball sc- like screens where uh, Fred likes to set those rip screens, those back mm-hmm. screens for Scotty. Uh, and Scotty gets a lob or it gets loose for a layup. I've also noticed a bit of delay. Wait, is that that's horns rip punch you're thinking of? Horns like- rip yeah, horns rip punch. Yeah. Uh, when I think of when I think of rip, when I think of those, like for example, Scott uh Scotty feeds it to someone to the other elbow and then he runs off the back screen. I think of like I, I like I my mind like wanders off to Princeton automatically mm-hmm. because you know, chin, Princeton chin series where you'd make that chin cut and someone makes the back the back screen. And you know, some like I love that action because it's so simple and what makes it so effective is the willingness of, of Fred in the Raptors case or Steph in the Warriors case to set the screens because, you know, Fred is a pretty good shooter. Steph is the best of all time. So, you know, it's, it's pretty low hanging fruit to make your guards, your shooting guard, your guards who can shoot screen for your other guys. And that's what makes me, a fan of Steve Kerr and a fan of Nick Nurse as well, because and you know Nick loves to experiment. We all we all know that, and you know Steve, I think, kind of saw what happened during the 2019 Finals and became more experimental himself this past season, offensively and defensively, more so on the defensive end of things. But yeah, um, I I've seen the Raptors run a bit of delay too, like when. Yep. You feed it up to up top and then five out, and then you can run Thad. Like Thad, they ran tons of it when he was there. Yeah, yeah, you can run like flares. You can run down screens, cuts, and all that. And you know, honestly, other than that, I think that's where kind of like where the similarities end. Because like when I watch the Raptors, there's an element of my turn, your turn, my turn. That I think if if the Warriors were to try that, not that they had to pr- have the personnel to do that in the first place, but if they were to try that, I think Steve would like you know he, he'd go <laughs> yeah. ins- he'd go insane he'd go insane. But you know, like the three that stand out to me in that uh, your turn my turn offense is Pascal, OG, and Scotty, because I think there was. There, uh, like I think recently OG kind of had like some concerns about his touches, about the use, his use in the offense. Uh, I think that died down a bit, but yeah, I mean, 
I love I love watching Pascal back down his man and score in the post, and so and that extends to Scotty. But then when I look at the numbers, like I looked this up last night, the Raptors were actually second in isolation frequency. I think yep. I think the Nets the Nets have them beat in that department. And to me, I mean, if you have three guys who can score, create, that's good. Like you can have, you can never have too much of those, you know, uh, you know, coming like, like I experienced that when Steph and KD were on the team Mm -hmm. and they're two of the best isolation guys in the league. But, you know, I think you need to have some rhythm, rhythm to that. I like your turn, my turn tempo where, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a problem in your half court offense. If the sets that you run result in consistently dumping it to the post or you're having to you're having to attack someone up top i think for me i I know i'm jumping the gun a bit i think that's something the raptors have to find a way to kind of like maximize if you're gonna run iso after iso make sure it's against a mismatch make sure it's against uh when you're in an advantageous spot on the floor Another aspect of their offense that kind of, I, I want to say it's like concerning, but it's really, it's it's notable, is Precious Achua. Uh, you know, I've, I I personally had fun w- watching Precious Achua because, and when I was scouring Raptors Twitter, it's like, it, it ranges from being really, really happy to see Precious all hitting his catch and shoot threes. He's hitting 40% of them. And then on the other end, like you see the tweets, like, what are you doing, Precious? It's like, it's a roller coaster ride with him. But uh, if I like, I think in general, I think Raptors fans are pretty happy with how he's developed mm-hmm. uh, offensively. I think his size lack the size limits his ability to be that vertical lob threat, so to speak. And well, he's also, also if I can if I can give you the like the what I've noticed about Precious, yeah. Not only is the the taller you are, the easier it is to lob because you can yeah. get to the ball quicker because it's not and you also don't have to commit as soon because you don't have to jump as early. Like that length is great. And and on top of that. Precious is an explosive leaper, but the worst part, he couldn't catch the daggum thing last year. Like Louis, Sat- <laughs> yeah. Louis Satsman, who works at Raptors Republic very early on in the year, did this piece where he's like, I looked at every lob that Fred threw Precious Achua, and it's just Precious blowing the darn things, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, on top of that, you'll notice this because sequencing and rhythm is a massive part of the, how the Warriors find success. They're tremendous at it very practiced and then adaptable when they're kind of punched in the face to find other routes around it. Precious does not have the pacing or rhythm to be a role man. Not yet. Like he has the athleticism to, to make that pop, but uh, you have to be able to keep passing windows open and stuff like that. So that's, that's the, the insiders look at precious is that small part of his offense for sure. And to your point about read and react, the warriors are also technically a read and react offense, but there's an element of read and react where the patterns that you see are kind of ingrained mm-hmm. where you know you see a play or you see a sequence playing right before your eyes before it happens and you know you can attribute that to experience too because you no know, this core has been together for so long that they practically know what 
what each of them is going to do. You know, Draymond knows where Steph's going to go. He knows the he knows the angles. He knows where to pass it to in terms of you know Steph's passing pocket, his shooting pocket, uh, Clay's shooting pocket. And whereas the Raptors, you know, they're they're not as experienced, and you can give them a bit of leeway in terms of where, you know, where all those reads are gonna go. Like, how are they gonna happen? How are they gonna play out? And to me, a big part of that is Scotty. You know, Scotty is a tremendous passer at this stage of his career. Uh, you know, not all, like you know, I mentioned his scoring, but his passing too. Like at at this point, is really really fun to watch, where he just knows how to map the floor. He knows where to pass the ball according to how the defense reacts to his advantage creation. Uh, you know, if he drives, if he manages to get two feet into the paint, he sees the guy on the weak side open and he passes it out. He kicks it out. Uh, you know, if the low man uh, overhelps, he uh, he could pass it to the corner, uh, whoever's on the dunker spot when he drives. So, you know, like it's, it's really interesting to to note that you know pre-draft one of the comparisons to Scotty was Draymond, you know, uh, and I can see that in terms of the playmaking, the passing. Obviously, the scoring is an a way advanced stage than where Draymond was at the same stage of his career. Uh, you know, he's at this point he's safe safe to say he's a way better scorer right now because it's, he's just so versatile in that regard. Uh, you know, I can I could talk all day long about Draymond scoring, so you know I'm not gonna go delve deep into that. But yeah, I mean, I think he'll be a big part of that read and react development overall. And on the Warrior side of things, you know, you talked about the core three. You talked about perhaps having to choose between Wiggins and Poole and Kuminga's development and all that kind of stuff. But the thing I really want to ask you is how you feel about this dynasty stretching past 2022 do you feel confident in the core three this year the growth from guys like moody and kaminga and pool the you know wiggins was awesome last year and was actually wiggins is the year before like the the year where covid was in everything uh wiggins once again was just even though the team was bad his defense i thought was awesome that was i think uh, i just want to ask about wiggins like you know when it being a canadian nba champion how did that go in canada i think i think most people were really excited about it yeah i think the he he stuck his foot in the mouth with the vaccine stuff like yet again yeah. after he won yeah. so yeah that, that's like a political thing and people will always 100 have they will feel affected by political opinions of players. Like yeah. So maybe, maybe a little bit more muted than it normally would be. Mm -hmm. But I think people were very happy to see him succeed, especially since early on in his career, he was like the misfit toy, right? It was like, Oh, he didn't grow the way that we wanted him to. And he isn't, you know, his shot profile doesn't look like this. So, and this was especially during when uh, the analytics movement was really had because Steph and the Warriors were basically showing, okay, this is perfect basketball. Do this. And, you know, it's, show, it's shown a light on a bunch of different players who weren't certain types or archetypes of players. And and Wiggins was definitely caught up in that. But there yeah. was a, a renaissance of some of his skills in Golden State and then just a complete reinvention of a lot of how he applied himself. And he found such a – like his game is in a really great spot. And I think people are happy for him about that. But anyway – 
the dynasty aspect, right? How do you feel about them next year? They, they'll be in title contention. That much is obvious. You're the defending champions. But Steph aging, how long does he hold on to all the things that makes this Warriors team really go? How do Poole and Kaminga and guys like that supplement the stars who eventually will become less and less uh, potent, I suppose? Well, one thing you have to take into consideration is that the big three never played a single regular season game together because of injuries. First, uh, it was Clay. It was Clay, you know, who had to rehab and didn't come back till January 9th. And then that very same game against the Cavaliers where he came back, Draymond got injured because of a calf issue, which turned out to be a back issue. And then when Draymond came back, Steph was out because, you know, his he had a ligament sprain that was suffered against the Celtics, you know, when Marcus Smart uh, kind of dove for a loose ball. And you saw what happened during the playoffs where the all three of them were back together like old times. And to see that during a regular season setting, even if, you know, you, you may have games where, for example, second, second end of a back-to-back where Clay might not play because of, uh, you know, manage, injury management because, you know, he had two lower leg injuries on both, both legs. Uh, or maybe, you know, just because generally Dre, Draymond, he's up there in age and he may not be able to fully play an 82 game season anymore because you need to rest him. And that goes for Steph too. I don't think they'll finish as the one seed in the regular season just because of those factors. But I do think they'll, they will have a huge chance to repeat because, you know, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and let's include Draymond in that discussion. They're, they're in a contract year because Draymond wants to prove that he deserves that max extension that he wants. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of arguments in Warriors Twitter about that, where, you know, is he really a max extension kind of player at this stage of his career? Uh, what you do know, you think? We, I think probably not. Right. <laughs> to me, you know, I, I defense you know i, I kind of lean towards defense so i think you kind of just but you just go for it you just, just give him whatever just pay him you know it's it's service rendered too for the year like because he took right. a pay cut he took a pay right. cut uh this current contract was a pay cut basically so you know just give him the contract and then you know his offense may not be as like like it was like he's scoring but he still ha- he's still probably the best defender in the world, maybe of uh, top three at, uh, at the very least. So, you know, I think you pay him. Uh, Wiggins and Poole, they're in a contract year two. Uh, Poole has an upcoming extension, rookie extension. Wiggins has an extension coming up. And, you know, people, e- people play either one of two ways when they're in that situation. One, they you kind of like have, you kind of grumble, or two, you kind of play your behind out to prove that you you deserve that contract. And I think I lean towards the latter when it comes to the both of them. Uh, pool, you know, pool is you know kind of into that twenty to twenty five million per year market, and with the, like you know R.J. Barrett got thirty million. If I'm close to 30 million if I remember correctly. So that might go higher. And the Warriors have a decision to make in that regard. And, you know, 
the market is kind of going higher and higher up for him. And that's not going to be good news for Joe Lacob, for Bob Myers. Um, and then with Wiggins, he provides this rare element of a three and D wing who can, you can throw against whoever the primary uh, option is on the other, the, the opponent's primary option. And he can also, you know, he's improved as a shooter. He can attack the rim. Uh, you know, it's interesting to note that Wiggins and Poole are the two of the most consistent uh, rim pressure sources in the Warriors. So, you know, their value is really, really high right now because the Warriors, like, don't really generate rim pressure other than their cuts. Right. You know, other than the cuts that are more a product of their overall uh, motion offense. And so the two of them, they can go, they can go to the rim at will because of their athleticism. Pool is shifty. His handle is really, really uh, tight. And, you know, with Wiggins, he's rare in the sense that he's a commodity that's valued throughout the league. He's a wing, a two-way wing who can shoot the three. And so, you know, and also like, I, I want to mention where like Wiggins, like Wiggins, allegedly he said that he will rebound better during the regular season because there was this kind of like a mental block that was lifted from him during the playoffs and the finals where Ooh. he realized, he realized, Oh, I can rebound. Like I won't average four rebounds anymore for the rest of my career. So, you know, if you're, if you'll take him for his word, he's going to have this explosion of, effort on the boards during the regular season that hopefully will make up for the loss of Otto Porter Jr. Who's like one of the more prolific mm -hmm. rebounders for his position. So if you take him for that, if you take his word and plus pool, just improving incrementally every season, because he's a hard worker, then I think I'm really, really bullish on their chances of repeating next season. And then even just a, a quick answer for beyond what, how long do you think Curry can keep a team in like the contender status, you know, because his shooting is not replicated by anything, anybody. And he, like, he might be 39 and still the shooting isn't replicated by anybody, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious what you think, uh, like how, how long do you think this window realistically is open? Well, he's coming into his age 35 season and, you know, his game is, his game is something that ages gracefully. My, like, I would really, really love if the window was open for around two to three more years at the very least. Uh, you know, personally, I don't have, a, I, I'm not concerned about Steph that much because he takes care of his body, uh, you know, knock on wood, if like knock on wood, he doesn't get like a serious injury. Um, to me, the longevity of their run banks more on the other two, Clay mm -hmm. and Draymond, because, you know, as we mentioned this, Draymond is not really like aging gracefully, especially on the offensive end. Uh, you know, he's still, he's still as smart, as intelligent, as, as high IQ as ever, but there's only so much that the mind can make up for if your body fails you, eventually fails you. And with Clay, you know, he's uh, he's also north of thirty, like Draymond, and he's 
he had an ACL tear, he had an Achilles tear. Um, you know, the the prognosis for that in terms of like effect like effectiveness as you age isn't isn't great. But like Steph, you know, he can still shoot the ball. But his game also moved like it also it's also predicated on movement, mm-hmm. on cuts, on using your gravity to generate advantages, and also on the defensive end. Uh, Clay at this point in small ball lineups is more of a four than he is a three, because you know he's less mobile right now, and he's he's more of a he's more of a post defender like there were there were instances in the finals where he was defending al horford in the post and you know uh i forgot who said it i think uh, like i don't know if it was mike Breener or mark jones who said it like like there's a mismatch on clay al horford and i'm like really like and then that same like on cue Clay got to stop against Al because Al could not budge Clay because he just ha- he's just so strong yeah. when he doesn't have to move. But then when he when you make a move against shiftier operators like Jaw, uh, Tatum in some instances, Luca, he has more of a hard time trying to keep up as compared to before where he was defending the Kyrie Irvings of the world, and you know like. There's this like the the thing that you have that can be I guess the most the most you can hope for is that it's just be him being getting used to the NBA again after a long injury layoff and with a full off season of him instead of rehab he's spending time in the lab he's spending time trying to rebuild his uh, his strength uh, playing ball instead of being on the trainer's table. The hope is that he will come back more, like more suited to the rigors of an NBA season, that and that it'll show in the in his defense that he'll be back to his old form. So it's for me, it's less on Steph and more on Clay and Draymond. Yeah, I, I do think there's wisdom in that, especially even just because you're so much more intimately, you know, so much more about that team than I do. When I think about it. You just think Steph because he makes it go. But then when you think about all the peripheral stuff of how Steph takes care of his body and the mitigating factors on the other two, it doesn't make sense to pay more attention to them, especially in the short-term window, because those guys are going to help out a bunch. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Is there any parting shots you'd like to give to Raptors fans if they're like, hey, Joe, we really we want to know what you think about our team. Is there one thing that you like or that you haven't mentioned yet that you know you'd like to say to somebody who the the large portion of this podcast the listener base is Raptors fans so that's who you're speaking to yeah I just wanted to uh, mention the fact that uh the Warriors ran lots of box and one last season <laughs> and I can't I can't help but think that Steve took that took that from Nick from Nick Nurse and you know because when when Nick ran the box and one in 2019, everyone was like, "Whoa!" Like, but then when you look back, it makes sense, right? Because when you play a box and one on Steph, when there's no Clay, when there's no KD, and the only other teammates that he had on the floor was uh, Alfonso McKinney, Quinn Cook, uh, you know, uh, Hobble, Demarcus Cousins, Draymond, who doesn't have any shooting. Uh, 
shooting potency. It makes sense. And, you know, Nick, Nick was hailed as a genius. And then last season, it was, a, it was a surprise to me that the Warriors whipped out a box in one of their own. And the first time I think they ran that was against Trey Young, and it worked. Mm-hmm. And and it's also hilarious that in I think it was in the home in at Chase their game against the Raptors at Chase, Nick tried to run a box and one again on Steph. And it was funny because I think I tweeted it at the time where I think Nick Nurse stopped running the box and one when he found out that. Otto Porter Jr. and uh, Jordan Poole weren't Alfonso McKinney and Quinn Cook. You know, it's just, you know, I just love Nick for trying out, like finding what's like throwing stuff at the wall and see what seeing what sticks. And I think St- Steve took a cue from that and just became more experimental in his schemes last season. And, you know, he went one step further too when he threw out a triangle and two against Katie and Harden. So, you know, I think he has Nick beat in that aspect. But yeah, I mean, I just love how the Raptors, Nick Nurse, are they're not afraid to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And I think the NBA at times has this like uh, homogeneity problem in terms of everything looks the same. Uh, everyone runs pick and roll. Uh, everyone switches, uh, that kind of thing. And I love how the Raptors are one of the few teams in the league who aren't afraid to like, you know, to zig when everyone else zags. And I feel like they're kind of like a kindred spirit in the sense that the Warriors are kind of like that too. They don't run, they run the fewest pick and roll out of everyone in the league by far. I mean, when you look at pick and rolls per 100 possessions, the next highest team on the list above them, the Bucks, they run, they run four per 100 possessions more. And that's a huge gap. Um, and, you know, they also zig when everyone else zags. And I think that's what I admire the most about the Raptors. And, you know, I just want them to, to excel in the Eastern Conference and excel with their creativity and with Scotty being at the forefront of that creativity, with Pascal being, uh, you know, developing into this uh, really, really... Uh, efficient and scorer i just want him i just want uh og to be happy in that system too <laughs> because you know i, lo- I love og I, I like yeah uh and when Kawhi left it was og who i was expecting to develop into the primary option and then lo and behold it was scott like in swoop scotty and becomes that guy but yeah i mean i just want the three of them to thrive uh synergistically in that in that offense and you know, just that's why I'm looking forward to the regular season meetings because I just I'm I'm waiting to see how the Warriors respond to such a highly switch switchy unit, highly aggressive unit. Who you know, they you bet they're gonna try a box and one again on Steph. You bet they're gonna trap and blitz him. And you know, I just love how they shore up behind that to account for the disadvantage that's created. And because the Warriors are like that too. So, you know, it's they're a mirror image in, in several ways, uh, especially defensively. So I just love to see how that will turn out. Yeah, that's that's well said. Like it's what you said about how homogenous it is. Absolutely. And breaking from that, 
the Raptors probably, you know, free jazz is really fun in theory. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's free jazz. It's just you're playing and you're doing your thing. And it's and but to a lot of people, it's just noise and it can seem like noise. The Raptors were engaging in some free jazz on offense last year. And I wonder if yeah. they might, uh, you know, I might maybe they do more bebop this year and it sounds a little better <laughs> or something like that. But uh, Joe, thanks so much for coming on, man. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Like I love talking about basketball and to talk about basketball during the doldrums of the off season. It's refreshing, you know, and I can't wait for the season to start. So we could talk more about it, can write more about it and yeah. And ready for the grind. Cross our fingers that somehow it's uh we get a Raptors Warriors <laughs> rematch in the finals. We'll see. Hopefully. Um, yeah. But listener, thanks for tuning in, whether you're on YouTube or the podcast channel. Joe, once again, thank you. And make sure if you enjoyed what Joe was talking about, follow him on Twitter. He will be linked in the description. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you.